Have you ever had the situation wherein you had an issue with your boss specifically about the pay you were receiving? My guess is that probably a lot of us have had that kind of an experience. Specifically, maybe you find out that your co-workers are being paid more than you. The workers who do the same thing that you do, maybe don't even do as much as you do, and they're making more than you. They're doing less work and being paid more. I tell you, that is really a frustrating and irritating situation. And my guess is that many here have had that kind of a situation where you just felt that you were really being cheated, so to speak. My boss just isn't treating me right. Well, if you've had that sort of experience, or at least if you can envision that sort of a situation, then it should be pretty easy to be able to relate to the parable of the day laborers in Matthew chapter 20. Josh read for us just a moment ago the the first introductory verses of that parable. We want to look to that parable to, first of all, make sure we understand it accurately, and secondly, see about the important applications that we can make to our own lives. We stop just briefly to say thank you for being here this morning. We're glad for all who are here. Very glad that we have this chance to come together to worship God. And we are uh, edified, encouraged by being together as the body of Christ. Thanks for being a part of that. And thanks to all who may be visiting with us today. And we urge you to come back whenever you can. Well, again... The parable of the day laborers in Matthew chapter 20 has important lessons for us. And this parable, I I believe, is typical of all the parables of Jesus. It's a word picture that's easy to see. You can imagine this in your mind's eye. Now, this parable particularly has had some varied interpretations. We're not going to go into all that. I think the main point of the parable is pretty understandable and straightforward, and that's what we're going to be going for. So let's talk first of all about the setting or the context. Typically, always the in understanding Scripture generally, and also in understanding the parables that Jesus taught, it's very helpful to make sure we understand the context or setting into which they are addressed. So the setting here, what leads up to the telling of this parable has to do with Jesus having a conversation with the rich young ruler. Now, we've had whole lessons on this uh, uh, conversation or this exchange between Jesus and the rich young ruler. We're not going to go into that, but I just want to remind you how that developed. This young man came to Jesus and said, Good master, what good thing shall I do that I may have eternal life? Obviously, commendable that he's interested in spiritual things, that he, that he wants to pursue things that will lead to eternal life. But I think there's a hint, even in the question that he asked, to suggest that maybe he thinks he can earn eternal life. He can do enough to have eternal life. Jesus responds basically by saying, if thou wilt enter into life, keep the commandments. And then Jesus proceeds to list some of those commandments. And the rich young ruler responds this way. The young man said to him, All these things have I kept from my youth up. What lack I yet? Jesus said to him, If thou wilt be perfect, go and sell that thou hast, and give to the poor, and thou shalt have treasure in heaven, and come and follow me. But when the young man heard that saying, he went away sorrowful, 
for he had great possessions. So again, he may have thought that I can do enough, I can do enough good works to earn my way into heaven. If I can just keep all the rules, if I can just check off all the boxes, then I'll be able to go to heaven. And you get the idea that maybe he thought, I can just outwardly go through the motions, maybe even without having my heart engaged in the matter. But what happens, of course, to Jesus when he told him to sell what you have and give to the poor, that exposed that this fellow's heart was not in the right place. He was willing to do various things, but his heart really wasn't right. He had a heart problem. He went away sorrowful because he had great possessions. And so, again, the context in which Jesus is going to proceed to tell this parable has to do with that conversation with the rich young ruler. And after the rich young ruler left, Jesus made an observation to his disciples who were still standing around, who had just heard this conversation. Jesus said to them in Matthew 19, beginning verse 23, Jesus said to his disciples, Verily I say to you, that a rich man shall hardly enter into the kingdom of heaven. And again I say to you, it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter into the kingdom of God. When his disciples heard it, they were exceedingly amazed, saying, Who then can be saved? But Jesus beheld them and said unto them, With men this is impossible, but with God all things are possible. Uh, and so, again, Jesus says, you know, it's going gonna, it's gonna to be difficult. There are going to be challenges to rich people going to heaven. That's the observation he made to his disciples. We've got to take that to heart, right? If we just want to stop right there, there's a lesson that we definitely need to take heart because we are the rich of the world, right? And so we need to be warned. Don't let your riches become a hindrance to you. It can be very hard for a rich man to enter the kingdom of heaven. And we need to be on guard about that. Well, having thus said, Peter then asked Jesus a question. The question coming from Jesus, or from Peter to Jesus, then answered Peter said to him, Behold, we have forsaken all and followed thee. What shall we have therefore? Notice, we have forsaken all and followed thee. What shall we have therefore? If you were going to paraphrase that, Peter basically says, Well, Jesus, we have done a lot. We have given up everything to follow you. Surely we deserve a big reward because we've given up. You just said it's hard for a rich man to go to heaven. But but for us, we've given up everything to follow you. We've done a lot. Don't we deserve a big reward because of what we have done? Now, the fact of the matter is that the apostles had done a lot and given up much. They had sacrificed everything. We know that. Peter and Andrew and James and John, for instance, in particular, had literally walked away from a successful fishing business in order to follow Jesus. And so these were not vain or idle or inaccurate words when Peter says, uh, we have forsaken all and followed thee. They literally had done so. And so Peter's question is, don't we, basically he's saying, don't we deserve a lot based upon what we have done? So... First of all, Jesus makes a promise. To that question that Peter asked, Jesus makes a promise. Not just to the apostles, but to all faithful people. Matthew nineteen twenty nine: Everyone that has forsaken houses or brethren or sisters or father or mother or wife or children or lands, for my name's sake, 
shall receive a hundredfold and shall inherit everlasting life. I think the takeaway from this is that we don't need to worry that God is going to overlook any sacrifice or good work that we do. He will not overlook it. He knows. He knows. Uh, you, you don't, in fact, you don't even have to try to keep up with what you've done. God will do that for you. And if you've given up anything, if you've sacrificed anything, whatever efforts that you've made in service to his kingdom, God knows that. And there is a reward for those who faithfully serve him. So here's, here's the setting then. It starts with that conversation of the rich young ruler. Jesus says to the disciples, it's sure going to be hard for a rich man to go to heaven. Peter asked, well, what about us, though? Because we, we have given up everything to serve you. Basically, don't we deserve a big reward? Jesus says, makes a promise. You, you, if you faithfully serve the Lord, everything that you've given up, everything that you've done, you will be rewarded for that. But then comes a warning. And this is, again, this is all leading up to the telling of this parable. Jesus states a warning. He says, Many that are first shall be last, and the last shall be first. Okay, a warning. Uh, what's he have in mind here? What, what's, what's, his, what's his point? He gives this warning. Then he's going to tell the parable. And then after the parable, he's going to repeat the same warning almost verbatim. So you have to believe that the parable, where it sits in this context, clearly is meant to illustrate the warning about those who are first shall be last, and those who are last shall be first. Okay, all of that's introductory, right? You get, you get the picture, you get the big picture here of how and why this parable is being told. So let's talk about the parable itself. In the parable, early in the morning, a landowner hires laborers to work for an agreed-upon price. In the verses that Josh read for us a minute ago, and, and so get the point, this, this, this flows over into chapter 20. It's the same context, right? This flows into chapter 20. The telling of the parable comes on the heels of all that's just transpired. Jesus says, The kingdom of heaven is likened unto a man that is a householder which went out early in the morning to hire laborers into his vineyard. And when he had agreed with his laborers for a penny a day, he sent them into his vineyard. Notice, when he had agreed with the laborers for a penny a day, a penny a day, or newer versions will call that a denarius, that's what an, an average working man would expect to make for a day's worth of work. And so, but notice, there was an agreement he had agreed with the laborers. There was an agreement between them. They all agreed. He agreed. They agreed that if they'd go out and work today in his vineyard, he would pay them a denarius or a penny. Later, though, at different times throughout the day, the landowner goes out and he finds more laborers and he hires them. And all he tells them is, I'll pay you what is fair. Notice as the parable goes on, verse 3. He went out about the third hour and saw others standing idle in the marketplace and said to them, Go ye also into the vineyard, and whatsoever is right I will give you. And they went their way. And again he went out the sixth and the ninth hour and did likewise. And about the eleventh hour he went out and found others standing idle, said to them, Why stand ye here all the day idle? They said to him, Because no man hath hired us. He said to them, Go ye also into the vineyard, and whatsoever is right that shall ye receive. So notice, he went out 
at the third, the sixth, the ninth hours, so third hour, nine o'clock in the morning, sixth hour, noon, uh, he went out the ninth hour, three o'clock in the afternoon. He went out the eleventh hour, one hour before sunset, hires more. To all of these, he simply said, whatever is right, I will give you. Notice, he said that even to those eleventh hour laborers, whatever is right, what is fair, I will pay you. All right. So the end of the day comes, and the, and the, and the landowner pays those who've been working for him. But he pays them all the same thing. Now get this, some of these laborers had worked only one hour. Some had worked maybe three or four hours. Others half a day. But there were those who had been working since sunrise. There were those who had been working all day long. But all of them across the board got the same thing And that irritated those who had been working all day. Notice in chapter 20, verse 8. So when even was come, the Lord of the vineyard said unto the steward, Call the laborers, give them their hire, beginning from the last unto the first. And when they came that were hired about the eleventh hour, they received every man a penny. But when the first came, they supposed that they should have received more, and they likewise received every man a penny. And when they had... And when they had received it, they murmured against the good man of the house, saying, These last have wrought but one hour, and thou hast made them equal unto us, which have borne the burden and the heat of the day. So I think it's it's easy uh, to see their frustration. Uh, I think we would probably have reacted the same way. The landowner responds. And base, his response is basically, I treated you fairly. Paid you according to our agreement. We had agreed at the start of the day for a penny. And he also says, if I wish to pay the others the same, do I not have that right? Look at verses 13 through 15. He answered one of them and said, friend, I do thee no wrong. Didst not thou agree with me for a penny? Take that as thine and go thy way. I will give unto this last even as unto thee. Is it not lawful for me to do what I will with mine own? Is thy eye evil because I am good? And so, there's the parable. Again, this is so classic of the parables that Jesus taught. You can just see that, right? You can see that situation unfolding and developing. Uh, it's, not at hard, it's not hard at all to imagine the frustration of those all-day-long workers who thought that they surely would have received more. But now, don't forget the 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 context of, of, the, of the parable. The context of the parable started with this rich young ruler who wasn't willing to give up his riches. The warning to the disciples, it's going to be hard for a rich man to go to heaven. The question from Peter, well, we've given up a lot. Wouldn't we, wouldn't we deserve a really big reward? The promise of Jesus, all who will be rewarded who serve faithfully, but the warning, many that are first shall be last and last shall be first. The parable is told, and then the warning is repeated. Okay, with all of that in place then, what conclusions are to be drawn from this parable of the day laborers? Well, I think we could say this. The first workers represent those who are called by the Lord through the gospel early in life. Now, I want to make the point that I made earlier. There are some varied interpretations of this, making it, 
I think, far more figurative in nature. I, I, I tend to favor this literal application of the parable. I, I'm not doubting that other applications of it can be made. But I think this is the most direct and literal application of the parable. Those who are the first workers, who worked all day long, would be representative of those who had begun to serve the Lord early in life and served long and hard. Uh, For instance, he's addressing this to the apostles, right? And Peter had that view. Lord, we've done a lot. Look at all that we've done. Look how long we've served. Look how much we gave up. And so... uh, uh, you know, the, the first laborers are those who've worked long and hard in the kingdom. The apostles certainly would fit into that category, uh, but others would fit into that category as well. They labor long and hard in the kingdom, all right? The other workers who are hired at other times throughout the day, including the ones who are hired in the very last hour of the day, Represent those who are called at various times in life. Maybe they don't start to serve in their youth. Maybe they're a good bit older when they obey the gospel. Some of these might be called so late in life that they have very limited opportunities to ever do very much in the kingdom of God. Many years ago, I had occasion to work with an older man who was diagnosed with terminal brain cancer. and so we, we met and we studied. It's interesting, this, this man and his wife, this older couple, lived right next to the church building. And we had visited back and forth many times. The old fellow had a horseshoe pit right on the property line between the church property and his property. And, and he would be out there throwing horseshoes. And I would step out and just say a word to him. And so we had de- sort of developed a friendship just casually. When he got sick, I called upon him and and we began to talk about gospel things. And after a while, after several conversations, he, did, he expressed he wanted to be baptized. He wanted, he wanted to obey the gospel. He, his, his disease was pretty well advanced by that point in time. But we were able to get into the church building. And, and I had to have another man help me. And the two of us baptized that old gentleman. Uh, and it was a, it was a joyous day. That was some day during that week, and I don't remember what day it was. The, the fellow was able to make it to worship services the next Sunday morning. But the next day or so after that, he went to the hospital and never came home and died of his brain cancer. Amazingly, exactly, he had just one chance after obeying the gospel. He had literally just one time when he could even assemble to worship God. Talk about obeying in the last moments of his life. And and so you contrast a guy like that with someone who obeyed the gospel early in life. Some of you, like me, uh, uh, maybe became a Christian when you were just in your youth. We have a number of our young people here who have obeyed the gospel in their youth. And so now you serve God for 40 or 50 or 60 years. Well... I've served the Lord for 50 years. That guy served the Lord for a week. Surely I deserve a bigger reward than he does. He just served one week. He worshiped God one time. I've been at this for 50 years, somebody says. Surely I deserve a bigger reward than he does. Well, that's, I think, what this parable is addressing. 
And I think there's some things we got to remember about that mindset. That mindset that suggests, I deserve more, I've done more. There's some things to remember about that. That's a faulty way of thinking. Here's some things to consider. First of all, what everyone receives will be more than fair. That was sort of in that parable, wasn't it? Those all-day laborers complained when they got a penny. They had already agreed to a penny. They weren't being cheated in any way. The way the landowner treated them was totally fair. He didn't, he didn't misuse them or mistreat them in any way whatsoever. Similarly, God's going to treat us fairly. Actually, he's going to treat us better than fairly. Because the fact of the matter is, what we deserve is to go to hell. In Romans chapter 3, verse 23, it says, All have sinned and come short of the glory of God. Romans 6, verse 23 says, The wages of sin is death. You want what you earned? Really? You really want what you earned? Be careful about that. Because what you earn is to go to hell. That's what you deserve. If, if, if you were treated based upon what you deserve, you wouldn't like it at all. And so whatever reward we receive, if, we're able to, if we receive a blessing from God in eternity, it will be far more than fair. By the way, I'd like to point out that this, that this parable is not intended to suggest, you know, just wait. Wait as long as you can before you obey the gospel. That's not the tone of this parable at all. Uh, this parable should not be used to encourage people that you can wait till the last moment to serve. In the parable, the workers, all of them, all day long, as soon as they were invited, they went into the vineyard and labored. Nobody put that off on their own intentionally. And so to know, to understand what you ought to do, but to refuse to respond is not in this parable. And it's a dangerous thing. If you have the chance to serve early in life, you should do it. You should not postpone that and put it off. We can talk about the dangers associated with delaying our obedience. But that's not what this parable is teaching. And and it, it is clear that the parable intends to convey the point Whatever we receive from the Lord will be fair. No one has the right to question God's grace. You know, that, the, the, the landowner said to those laborers who were grumbling and murmuring, he said, wait a minute, who are you to tell me what I should do with what's mine? Can I not do with my own as I please? I'm not cheating you. Now, I, if, I, if I choose to be generous with these other people, don't I have a right to be generous with them? You don't have a right to judge me about my generosity to these others. If you think about it, if, if we are of that mindset, here I have served the Lord for decades, and here's this other guy who had just, he only, he, he obeyed the gospel just before he died. He, he, he only just did a meager few things compared to the decades long of service that I've done. You know, when, when, you, when you say, I deserve more than him, you're basically challenging God for his mercy and grace, and that's not a right thing to do. Those who serve long and hard should not be envious if others receive the same reward. Now, again, I think the contest context of this, especially based upon Peter's question to the Lord, suggests that maybe there was or could be some envy. Peter and the apostles said, what about us? Look at all that we have given up. 
Those of us who obeyed the gospel in our youth, uh, I'm one of those, and I know a number of the older, older folks here are in the same category that I'm in. You obeyed the gospel when you're very young. You know, we ought to actually be thankful for that. We ought to be thankful that we had family and parents who taught us when we were young to love God and do His will. Because actually, if you stop to think about it, we have received blessings for a long time because of the fact that we were taught to know and love God. And so for all these years that we've been Christians, we have received the blessings. Our lives have been enriched. Uh, We have avoided trouble and heartache in our life because of what we were taught when we were young. So you served 50 years. Good for you. For 50 years, you've been enjoying the blessings that come from living the way God says we should live. Here's this other guy who didn't do that. And his, and he's, he's suffered a lot of heartache and trouble and pain in his life because he wasn't living right. And you've avoided that. We really should be thankful. There, there should be no basis for envy on our part that this guy who just served just for a little while is going to get the same thing that we're going to get in heaven. I think the main point of this parable is that we should not serve God with a mercenary spirit. Uh, That's really, I think, what Peter was in danger of when he asked the question, what about us? We've given up everything to serve you. Won't we receive a big reward? He was sort of expressing that, that idea of what's in it for me. Look at what I've done. What, what will you do for me in return? And we've got to really avoid that. I, I think that that mindset will not see us through. If we're just in it for what we can get out of it. Anybody who approaches the service of God with the idea of what's in it for me probably is not going to remain faithful in the long run. We need to realize what the Lord taught in Luke 17, verse 10, when we've done all that is commanded of us, say we are unprofitable servants. We have simply done that which was our duty to do. Well, you know, we, Again, to our point earlier, we're not going to earn heaven. If we got what we earned, we wouldn't like it. And so it's not about look at how much we've done. It's about the Lord and doing His will and, and bringing glory to His name with the promise that he will reward those who faithfully serve him. And so this parable of the day laborers, I think it's really an interesting parable. All the parables of Jesus are interesting. But this one, I think, taking the easiest and most direct application of the parable, and again, I note that there are other applications that some people make of this parable, but taking the easiest and most literal and direct application of this parable really speaks to us. And so think about the parable of the day laborers. What about your situation? We've got people here this morning in all age categories. We've got some who are older. We've got some who are younger. If you understand, but regardless of your age, if you understand the Lord's invitation to labor in His kingdom, then you need to accept that invitation and be a worker for the Lord. If you've never obeyed the gospel, that means uh, submitting to that simple gospel plan of salvation. Hear, believe, repent, confess, and be baptized. If you're a Christian already, but you've not been faithful in his service, you need to come back to him in repentance, confession, and prayer. If we can help in any way, let us know while we stand and sing.